Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there. My name is Sam Maxwell, and welcome to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the research process of the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series I am developing. It's a special Thursday morning edition, which we have never done. It's always been on Mondays and Wednesdays. And joining me once more is Brooklyn Dodgers pitcher Carl Erskine. Carl, thank you very, very much for joining again. Oh, yeah, my pleasure always to uh, reconnect with with my Brooklyn ties. Thank you. Absolutely, and, and thank you. And we were just talking off air about uh, some stories uh, regarding Brooklyn, and as much as we can get off of uh, baseball, it's it's hard to kind of separate the two. Um, but what are some of your, your favorite memories and your favorite stories about the borough uh, separated from, from the actual baseball that, that connects you to it? Yeah, well, as you said, it's hard to separate, but there were a lot of spinoffs uh, in Brooklyn, and, of course, I played there 10 seasons, and my family grew up there. My kids were small in Brooklyn. Uh, they even, uh, one, my second little boy uh, actually picked up a Brooklyn accent, and he came home uh, to Indiana, and he was in elementary school, and I think they thought he needed some remedial help that he, he wouldn't pronounce his words right or something. <laughs> but, but we had... But we had a lot of personal ties and babysitters uh, we had in Brooklyn on uh, uh, down on Lafayette Walk. Uh, we're still in, they're, they're grandparents now, and uh, I had a fan club in Brooklyn, uh, teenage girls, and uh, the the three officers of the the teenage fan club are all grandparents now, <laughs> and they still contact me. I still keep in touch with my uh, my teenage fan club who are all now in their sixties, but. Uh, so I, there's a lot of ties, but one of the most significant ties was uh, when 9/11 happened, and the, the firehouses in Brooklyn were the first responders because of being so close to uh, Southern Manhattan. There, and it was just an amazing uh, uh, connection because of a chaplain I knew in. Um, uh, from the, that was visiting the firehouses, uh, giving some counseling after the 9/11. Uh, I had written a book called Tales from the Dodger Dugout, and there were a lot of short stories that really happened in Brooklyn, and it was just uh, I wrote it, and it was a lot of fun, and uh, had some real meaning in it. But uh, the chaplain, uh, Vinny Santiago, he took he took uh, a bunch of my books uh, to the firehouses and uh, distributed them. Uh, during his time of uh, doing therapy, and so that reconnected me with with a lot of people in Brooklyn, especially the fire uh, the firemen. And so now, when I uh, come to New York, uh, they they keep calling me and say, "Carl, from the fire department, if you come to New York, don't don't take a cab, don't get in a car, don't rent a car, uh, wherever you want to go, we got you." And so help me, I come into New York and it, and go to Brooklyn. And uh, these guys are so uh, attentive to me uh, because of that connection. So um, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, Brooklyn was such a big place after my little town of Anderson, Indiana. But when I, Betty and I were young uh, parents, uh, kids were small. But the, the people in Brooklyn and Bay Ridge, they they adopted us. And that's still going on. Um, I'm, I'm almost 87 years old. Can you imagine that, that uh, the Brooklyn connection through the cyclones uh, down at Coney Island, I've 
been privileged to visit there several times, as have some of my teammates, uh, who are fewer and fewer as time passes. But um, I just feel this um, connection. It's not like I played there. It's not like I had a career there. Hmm. It's like uh, Brooklyn's uh, my second home. And uh, we had a doctor in Brooklyn, uh, Morris Steiner, on East 19th Street. And he helped uh, all the Dodgers who had small children. Uh, he was a pediatrician. And uh, so he was uh, he, he was the, the one we all turned to. Well, even back in Indiana in the off season, when my kids had a, a, a fever, uh, my wife didn't call the local doctor. She she called Morris Steiner on East 18th Street in Brooklyn. And um, when my fourth child was born, who was born Down syndrome, Jimmy, uh, who's still with us and uh, had a remarkable life of his own, uh, Jimmy uh, needed, we needed a lot of encouragement at that time in 1960. Uh, and Down syndrome was... Uh, in those years, term mongoloid, which is a harsh term, but it reflected society's uh, acceptance of people who were different like that. But Morris Steiner, uh, he's a finest man, uh, gave us great counsel. And so these are these are ties well beyond baseball that made Brooklyn, New York, uh, such uh, such a part of our lives. And even though we never permanently lived there. We've had a, a permanent tie with the borough of Brooklyn, and uh, it, it reminds me. It, it reminds me of some stories you heard after 9/11. Going back to going back to that, um, uh, just about baseball and the way it it, it 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 how much it means to the city, not just Brooklyn, but also all of New York City. Really, uh, was shown, and uh, it, I think Keith Overman told a story in the in the Ken Burns baseball documentary about being down near Wall Street and a cop or a fired fireman calling him over him, and he goes, and you know this is a couple days after 9/11. He goes to Keith, Keith, I'm worried about the Mets, <laughs> and that's that's what he said, you know. It's, and and uh, Bernie Williams was down there uh, when you know he went to near close to the hospitals and. And in that moment, you know, he, he's not sure what he can do. And he looks at one of these people and he just says, you, it, you look like you need a hug. And even, you know, even those little things are, are what you as baseball players who, who really mean something to these people can, can do in moments that, that, you know, things just seem like, like everything's just being piled on. Well, you know, actually, the new era uh, has been opened up, in a sense, with the movie um, 42. And I played with Jackie nine seasons. I didn't happen to play with him the first season. I came up in 48. But but the, the movie uh, has been a piece of history now, uh, developed again to tell people who are younger and didn't live through that era uh, what it was like and how how Brooklyn, New York, uh, really is a significant piece of history in changing America's culture and uh, being able to uh, see the results of what Jackie did in terms of uh, having people accept people who are different. Uh, race relations started in America at second base or first base when Brooklyn uh, put Jackie Robinson on the field. And Branch Rickey had the guts to face segregation 
uh, and the bigotry of segregation and it cha actually changed our culture. That started in Brooklyn. Uh, and Brooklyn gets credit for that. It's it's not a it's not a made up or kind of a thing to say that Brooklyn was the centerpiece of the civil rights movement that uh, is still going on today. But when you look at the change of how we deal with each other as Americans, uh, we've become much more colorblind and look at people as Dr. Martin Luther King ask us to do uh, the content of the character of a person, not the color of their skin. That started in Brooklyn. I mean, there was other efforts before, but nothing hit America as strong, and it took us 50 or 60 years to actually realize that because uh, the interim between my career and uh, the time that baseball uh, dedicated a day for Jackie Robinson on April 15th uh, of each year, uh, we recognize now, but it took a long time for that to sink in, that it is a powerful story that started in Brooklyn when Jackie Robinson, uh, coached by Branch Rickey, stepped on the field as a first black player and defied segregation at all levels. And uh, believe me, Martin Luther King certainly had his place in history, but Jackie Robinson created momentum uh, ten years before Martin Luther King came on the scene. And that momentum helped helped uh, all the marches, helped all the efforts that Dr. King did. Uh, had he started from scratch, then a tougher job. Uh, right. Jackie made it possible for uh, Martin Luther King's era to be more productive. And I don't know, I, I'm disappointed in black leadership. Uh, black leadership never lined up with Jackie. And uh, I, it was disappointing because uh, it was too scary. Uh, black leadership, I think, took a step back and said, boy, this guy's too radical for us. And uh, Jackie was controversial uh, once Mr. Ricky took the gag order off. But, uh, but I think black leadership to this day does not uh, give Jackie Robinson a kind of uh, historic credit for what he did, a lone, he's a lone guy out there by himself. And when the ball was his, I'm sorry, do you think some of, I was going to say, do you think some of his political ties might, you know, over the, uh, at the time at least, uh, yeah. rub some people the wrong way in terms of the black Jackie, community? Yeah, let, me, let me tell you why that's true. Jackie Robinson thought more in a conservative uh, mindset about uh, getting prepared, uh, don't wait for it to be given to you. Uh, get ready. Go out there. Compete uh, like he did. That's exactly what he had to do. And that was his philosophy. Well, that's a counter philosophy to uh, those who feel like, hey, uh, we've been disadvantaged. Uh, we, uh, we're owed something. We ought to get it. And, uh, and we're fighting to get it. Jackie says, no, you, you fight for it, but, but get prepared. Uh, get educated. And uh, get your life in order get a good lifestyle, and go out there and compete in the, in the real world, in the real uh, time frame that you live in. And uh, that divided a little bit, Jackie, from a more uh, liberal point of view uh, that's uh, maybe still out there. Uh, Jackie's foundation, which is run now by uh, his widow, Rachel, uh, a wonderful lady herself and very historic in her own right, uh, Rachel Robinson's philosophy with the 
uh, foundation, Jackie Robinson Foundation, gives out scholarships to, uh, and incidentally, they have about a 92-plus uh, graduation rate. Um, their philosophy is get prepared. Uh, and Jackie got prepared. He didn't really know what for. But because of a strong mother he had, a strong Christian mother, he was uh, raised to respect people and to uh, have uh, individual responsibility and to be responsible for what he did and said. Uh, he was taught that. Well, sometimes that's counter to the culture uh, we have today in some quarters, not all, in some quarters where it says, look, we've been disadvantaged so much uh, that we're still, owed, we're still owed something for that. Now, I don't, I don't fuss with that except I'm telling you what the difference is. And even to this day, uh, black leadership will acknowledge that Jackie was a great ball player and he was the first one, but they won't acknowledge the impact it had on civil rights to the depth that it had and still has. And every one of the uh, athletes that you see on TV, uh, players uh, uh, of color, uh, owe something to Jackie, and whether they know it or not. And yeah. I think America owes something to Jackie. I, I do believe, it's my personal opinion, that uh, April 15th should be a national holiday for Jackie Robinson. Obviously, uh, tax day gets in the way of some things, of, of, of a real celebration uh, in some people's minds. Um, maybe move tax day to April 16th and keep uh, Jackie Robinson Day as, as April 15th because uh, everything you said is, is right uh, in terms of his place in the civil rights movement, and, and it, it's certainly fascinating. And um, you, That's something we, we should certainly get into uh, more on another podcast uh, when we have some more time to, to crack. But before I let you go, um, I want you mentioned the Cyclones, and I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, current Brooklyn baseball. And I know that a couple of years ago you were able to, I believe it was the national anthem you played on the harmonica, or was it take me take me out to the ball game? Yeah, yeah, it was the national anthem. I've, I've done it a couple three times. That that came out of uh, the fantasy camps that I did for a number of years for the Dodgers. Uh, we always had uh, the game at the end of the week when the staff played the uh, campers. And they set it up like a regular, regular major league game, and everybody was introduced and stood along the foul lines. And then I would uh, go to the mic with my harmonica and play uh, play the national anthem. So that was kind of a carryover from uh, from from those days. But yeah, I've done that two or three times. And then uh, to my uh, total honor, uh, the Cyclones retired. Uh, well, maybe not retired a number, but they. Uh, they put uh, my number and my name up with Duke Snyder, my roommate, and uh, and Don Newcomb, who uh, uh, now we're honored at the ballpark in, uh, in Coney Island, the Cyclones, to have uh, our name and number uh, on the stands there. Well, that's, again, that's another fantastic tie for me in Brooklyn, not to mention the street that's off the uh, Belt Parkway. Uh, at Erskine Street. I, I'm telling you, uh, for this skinny kid from Anderson, Indiana, uh, to have those many ties, that, those wonderful ties uh, with Brooklyn, uh, that's uh, you can't buy that. There's no way. What do you and, think uh, about, about, I mean, it's a minor league team, and, and it's a short season minor league team, but uh, from my perspective, I don't think you get a major league crowd quite like that at any other minor league ballpark. No, I. They, they tell me uh, Steve Cohen, who's their general manager, and I correspond some. And 
uh, he says these other teams come in that play for a handful of people uh, at these other uh, leagues, uh, other cities in that league. Uh, they come to Brooklyn, and it's a packed house of 8,000 or more, uh, standing room only. <laughs> he said some of these kids or teenagers are near it. Uh, they're a little bit overwhelmed to play in front of that kind of a crowd when they're used to seeing uh, six or 800 people in the stands. I think so, that's a great that's a great idea, though, uh, to to have these kids coming out of the draft and coming out of college and high school, throw them throw them into the Brooklyn fire. <laughs> yeah, very true. So, well, I think the uh, Brooklyn spirit of the Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers, still is alive and well. I think as uh, as time passes, I get I get a lot of mail, and uh, I answer my mail. So then naturally I I get more mail, but. Uh, I answer my mail because you can't throw that away. Young people, uh, and some of them from Brooklyn, are captured by the history and the memory still in Brooklyn of some of those teams that uh, played there and the players. And uh, that's still carrying on, and it's it's being passed along to uh, current generations. It's, uh, you know, I had a, an usher uh, in Brooklyn, Kenny Smith. He ushered in the uh, upper deck and right field. I kept in touch with Kenny. He kept in touch with me for years and years till he passed away. But he was so he was so Brooklyn that you couldn't imagine. He 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 literally lived and died uh, as a Brooklyn fan and uh, loved the players and so forth. Well, the Cyclones I think have have done it right. They kept that alive at the ballpark by periodically inviting back some of the living Brooklyn Dodgers. And uh, I've been one of them a few times. Uh, Ed Roebuck uh, comes back occasionally. I think Koufax has been there. Uh, it's it's it just goes on and on. It uh, it, it just it's still alive. And unfortunately, uh, luckily we've been able to clean it up. But there was a racial slur on the Jackie Robinson statue there, and I think this is a good way of bookending everything. Um, it, it's it's clearly. There's there there's still an issue, and why yet the story of Jackie Robinson and the story of of race relations is is such an important one to keep educating kids on, and and you know we can't keep that that won't keep anybody down. Uh, the other night when I was there, uh, everybody was still around the statue, and there there was such a buzz around the ballpark, and it's um. It's it's a beautiful thing, and I'm I'm you know it's it's a great place out there, and uh, it just says a lot about Brooklyn and, and the culture that that they have out there. Carl, uh, I know you got to go, and uh, I can't can't uh, overthank you enough for for all your insight. Yeah, it it's just unbelievable to talk to you, and I look forward to the next time we're able to catch up once more. Oh yeah, well let's do it. That, uh, it's it's wonderful for me to help uh, help me recall some of those days. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Carl. That's our show, everybody. Take care.